Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. And I'm Stephen Graves. And this is. GM from Decrypt. Okay, Stacy, GM, and we got Anatoly from Solana today. Big name. Yeah, GM Dan. Good to be back. Solana is interesting, especially lately. I mean, it's definitely one of the biggies now, but also quite recently, more outages, which we certainly will have to ask him about. Yeah, I mean there was the meteoric rise of Solana. They they had a hell of a year last year. And then now yeah, we have been seeing quite a few outages. It's impossible not to talk about those. Yeah, especially I guess what frustrates me like when these things happen every single time it gives all the kind of non-crypto people, the people who think all of crypto is, you know, stupid and a scam, it gives them another chance to point and say, "Oh, guess it isn't working so well." Or, "Oh, these you know, the immutable blockchains that just keep running and don't have any issues. Mm, not not so smooth. <laughs> yeah. And it, it feels like kind of, you know, it's it's because they're in the spotlight. They have to talk about this. So, you know, I definitely want to ask him about that. I also want to ask him about the way that NFTs are really just flourishing on the platform. It seems like they have more and more share of the NFT market every time I check it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Andrew Hayward just wrote something about that recently. In fact, you know, yes, all NFTs are way down from the peak, which everyone also loves to point out. But uh, last month, the the share of the NFT market that are built on Solana, I think something like doubled. So some growth there for sure. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of growth, I, I do want to ask him about this bear market. And, you know, we're kind of in a, a rut here where we have to ask all of our guests about it. But <laughs> You know, everyone's got a different view on how long this is going to last for us, what it's going to look like, what's going to get built. So it'd be good to get Tolly's uh, take on it. Yeah, I will definitely ask about that. And then they have other recent news that, you know, Helium, they're, you know, building a decentralized wireless network and they're switching over to Solana. That was a big thing. So uh, we'll get into it. We'll bring them on. Great. Okay, Anatoly Yakovenko, GM. Thanks for joining us. Awesome to be here. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. Lots to talk about with Solana and the entire ecosystem, but let's start uh, broadly. We are in a brutal crypto bear market. Um, I just want to get your take on how that's affecting projects like yours. Of course, it's not just crypto. I mean, it's everything. It's stocks. It's the whole economy right now. But uh, how much of a challenge does that create either with you know, raising funds for various apps, building, recruiting. Uh, how is it affecting the day-to-day with uh, building out Solana right now? So I think, uh, you know, we just, ran a, we just ran our hackathon and it was actually our largest hackathon yet. We had 15,000 registrations as opposed to, I think, five, six or 7,000, the previous one. And 700 teams finished. And uh, the top teams are, are like raising at... at like I think still pretty high valuations. So I don't know if it's, um, there's still some lag, I think, especially for C-level teams 
where a lot of the funds raised very massive war chest uh, last year, you know, like electric, A16Z, and a whole bunch of other folks raised like, you know, billions of dollars uh, of capital. So I think for seed stage startups, uh, there's still a lot of opportunities. Um, I think when you're raising much bigger rounds, uh, investors are very much focused on not just growth, uh, but revenues and things like that. And with crypto especially, that's really, really tough. Because um, I think a lot of crypto revenues are very much bull market driven. And, you know, I want to ask about the, the upcoming conference and everything like that. You know, what what do you want to set the tone for the conference? Um, well, I think uh, we call it breakpoint because it's kind of a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think that's important to take a break and then look back at like, what we accomplished, what the challenges were over the last year. And uh, I think really re-energize everyone to continue building because I think uh, looking at like macro stuff, my guess is there's probably like 12 to 18 months more of this brutal kind of Fed rate, Fed rates going up, but there is an end to it. And like, just like the last bear market, a lot of teams that, built and focused on product market fit and really tried to build amazing products. A lot of those succeeded and they mm. succeeded, I think, in a very dramatic way. I think that's the opportunity right now is for a lot of folks in the ecosystem and Solana, but in crypto in general is to really get heads down and start thinking about like product market fit and iterating and really building these awesome products that get us to the next adoption cycle. Yeah. I mean, Breakpoint has pretty quickly become like famously one of the biggest crypto conferences you could go to. Um, you know, I, do you think that the the vibe is going to be a little different? I know you're saying, you know, it's to take a break, you know, to kind of remind everyone to kind of like buckle in. It's going to be a little while, but, you know, are you expecting the, the atmosphere to be a little different this year? Are people going to be depressed and somber? <laughs> I don't know, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, you know, like hanging out at like Solana spaces or hacker houses, people are still having fun. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think despite the the massive downturn, I don't know if just a lot of the builders have been through more than one cycle and they're like, well, here we go again. <laughs> it's mm. just part, might as well make the best of it. So they, they tend to have a pretty good attitude about it. Yeah. When, when you use that phrase about heads down and building, I mean, in some ways over the years, and I remember the last cycle was 2018, you heard the same thing. I mean, it's almost become a cliche. People in crypto and the market is down. They say, well, this is a good time to build and we're heads down and building. But as I also like to say, like, it's the truth. I mean, some of the you know, some of the healthy, healthiest things now were built in the last bear cycle. Now, all that said, it certainly does affect the perceptions and narratives outside crypto, you know, and we're especially interested in these things as journalists, you know, like how um, the non-crypto natives perceive crypto as a whole. Mm. And the terror collapse, especially, I think was pretty brutal for the reputation of the industry, even though, you know, it shouldn't have been because that was its own thing and the idea of an algorithmic stablecoin. But, you know, I think it, it kind of, cause the average person who maybe already thought crypto looks shaky and I don't really believe in it to say CEC and they were able to point to that. Um, do you worry yourself much with like those perceptions, especially, you know, as a project that aims to onboard more people into Web3? 
um, you know, how, how damaging do you think the last six months have been to the larger perceptions around the whole industry? Yeah, I think it's been really hard to, especially non-savvy people. And those are typically the people that get into the space. They just get excited and they don't really know the difference between Celsius and Luna and like Ave or Solan or whatever. And to, to like explain it to them, it's not just a tweet, right? It's like a, a lot of conversations and a lot of learning. And that's a lot of those folks got burned basically. And that, especially because a lot of people get into crypto simply because people promise that, you know, yields or whatever, right? There's going to be free money, but that's never the case, right? Every, everything that's too good to be true usually is. Um, so And, you know, like, I think historically we've seen things like this do take solid at least a year to to shake out. Like, you know, I remember we almost got out of the bear market in 2019, except for like the plus token thing. Like, there's just always, always something in crypto that just like shoots itself in the foot, but Mm -hmm. hopefully it makes it more resilient. Um, I don't know what happens in the next cycle, but I think... Maybe if if the just the number of crypto savvy people gets larger and larger, it just becomes a, a faster immune response to push projects out that are definitely you know way, way more risk than they than they're pretending to be. Um, it, it feels like we're starting really negative here, but I do want to give you a chance to talk about the outages. Um, there was one just last week. I think the count now is at five in the last year. Um, let's just address uh, them because I feel like it comes yeah, up every, so, all the time. So it's, and we're three just... in the, it's three this year, five okay. total in the lifetime of Solana. Yeah. And um, these have been, uh, and just to be fair, there's also been periods where there's been a lot of congestion on the network where it's been unusable too, mm-hmm. uh, but not an outage. So yeah, this has been like the biggest challenge for us um, and like the, the number one priority. And uh so far, they've been in like software bugs that are just human software bugs. Um, Solana is a pretty complex piece of software. It's a monolithic chain. So it's like Ethereum, but uh, does everything all at once. And that, and that means uh, the amount of work that we have to do to achieve the kind of scalability that we did is like pretty complex. And mm-hmm. um, this is still software written by humans. So this particular bug was a bug in a corner case where a misconfigured validator produces two blocks for the same slot Mm -hmm. and the network gets confused, which fork is the real fork. And like all systems uh, that are, you know, BFT systems, Solana picks safety over liveness. So when something like that happens, the validators just give up and say, we're not going to make any more blocks. We're not going to vote. And that stalls the network. But at no point do Failures like these put any user's funds or program state at risk because Solana has 2,000 different validators. That's effectively, you know, 3,400 different replicas. So that's a lot of different copies of the state. As long as one of these copies survives, you can effectively recover the whole network. Mm -hmm. So it's extremely robust from that perspective that no matter what happens, if there's a catastrophic failure, you'll recover. But obviously, reliability is really, really important to users, to marketplaces like Magic Eden, especially to DeFi applications that depend on liquidations. So this is the number one priority for us is to nail down and, and, and find all these bugs. And um, 
The really long-term fix for this is Fire Dancer, which is a second client built by a separate team. So a whole other team of software engineers that are building one, a very high performance client. Their target is like 10 gigabit networks. That means 1 million TPS. Right. But because it's a separate team, the probability of them built, having the same bugs in their code as ours becomes virtually zero. So mm. this kind of thing, client diversity is very important. Uh, and that's a really big investment in the ecosystem. But of course, each Solana release on its own gets more and more reliable and we, uh, you know, gets better and better with every release. Yeah. Um, I want to ask specifically about the the validators. Um, I saw in the August validator report, there were about 3,400 validators then. Um, so that number are, has, yeah. Yeah. So those are boxes. I, I would, okay. There's kind of different ways you can measure it. There's 3,400 yeah. different computers on the network that maintain the state. About 2,000 of them participate in consensus while voting. Okay. So that's like 2,000 block producers. Um, and there are different reasons why you'd want to count both of those. Mm -hmm. hmm. Go ahead. So those are not the same number. So the I'm seeing about, you know, maybe I think it was 2027 when I just checked on the site now, the 3,400 and the 2,000, these are counting different things. Yeah. So if you think of it from like... Yellowstone blows up, right? Like some, mm -hmm. some really major event that destroys computers. <laughs> Each, any, it doesn't matter what the computer was doing, whether it's like serving RPC requests for Magic Eden mm -hmm. or validating for Lido. Uh, as long as that computer survives and has a copy of the state, the rest of the network can recover from it. Um, so when you think about decentralization, there's different facets of what you care about. One is catastrophic failure resiliency. So you kind of want to know what's the total number of computers in the world that have an active copy of the state. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin's is at roughly 12,000, which is really, really awesome. But there's like only six mining pools that really make blocks. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> and that is not, six is not a very high number and that impacts right. censorship resistance and a whole other bunch of things. So in Solana, there's about 2,000 validators that make blocks. And that's important for making sure that, you know, everybody has a chance to find a block producer in whatever, you know, ge geographic area they may live and under whatever regulatory environment they may live. And, you know, when you mentioned the number of large Bitcoin mining pools there are in the world, and of course, another example is I think leading up to the Ethereum merge, is when a lot of people out there suddenly discovered for the first time just how much of Ethereum is uh, parked on, you know, huge cloud-based um, mm -hmm. storage servers, AWS and others. All that is just a way of saying, and this is something I, I heard a lot from our interviews at Mainnet, that al almost the dirty secret of a lot of crypto and DeFi, especially is like, it isn't so decentralized. It's pretty centralized. And in some ways, the, the ideal of decentralization, I think, gets kind of overplayed in crypto. Do you, do you feel that way, that there's going to be a reckoning uh, there with that term? No, I, I think that argument is uh, it's not really, uh, I would say, like thoughtful because uh, these distributions, they always follow some power law. You're always going to have, let's say, concentration and a few data centers, but then there's a long tail of small validators or home validators mm -hmm. or whatever. And that actual, that actual long tail is what matters. The, mm -hmm. the, where the concentration is, it's important for some things like re, like censorship resistance, like right now, like when is it, how long do I have to wait until I find a block producer that's willing to take my transaction? 
those are like day-to-day kind of concerns. But when you're talking about like long-term resiliency, it's, is there at least one node somewhere like in Australia or whatever, or in the middle of Africa, that's really, really hard to reach and destroy it. Mm-hmm. And this, that makes the system much more expensive to shut down or, or really like uh, take out. It's a good answer. Um, good segue. I want to make sure I bring up and, you know, you probably are, are sick of being asked about this, but you know, you brought up Ethereum and I mentioned the merge just now. Do you still feel like, you know, Solana first and foremost, when people are talking about the multi-chain future, it gets compared to Ethereum, you know, sometimes they all get, you know, banded together as Ethereum killers. Um, are, are you trying to get away from that? Or do you think that understanding of Solana is advancing? Do you guys, do you feel like you're still often tracking your success um, against Ethereum? Oh, that's a good question. I think that we do sometimes track our success against of Ethereum in terms of like valid, not, not validator adoption, but like developer adoption. I think it's really important because they are the market leader. And I think that's been, I think, interesting to see what kind of devs choose Ethereum over Solana. Um, and it's been, I think, very much, well, what's funny to me is that people call Solana an Ethereum killer, but we're so different we're almost like complementary <laughs> in a lot of ways. I think Ethereum is very focused on this idea that validators need to be extremely cheap and they're sacrificing everything else to to create that and their sharded network and everything else that they're planning to do in the future is all based around this idea of very cheap validation. But that opens up the space to a very decentralized network, but one that is, you know, like really optimize for consensus at the speed of light. How do we make the network as fast as possible? And there's just use cases that you can't run on Ethereum that you can run on Solana. And this is where I start seeing devs really pick Solana over Ethereum. So I want to kind of go back to the multi-chain future thing that, that Dana picked up on. We heard it from so many people and Frankly, everyone thinks that their chain is going to be part of the multi-chain future. I mean, of course you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here building now. Um, So you mentioned that you guys, you know, more so than competing with kind of complement Ethereum. What other chains do you think are going to, you know, kind of be part of that ecosystem going forward, maybe five, ten years? Um, I'm actually not. So there's, uh, I don't know what's going to happen if we're going to have a multi-chain future or not. And there's different reasons uh, I think to think about it. One is um, when you use an application, you're typically right now still aware that you're using a Solana application or an Ethereum one. Mm. And maybe users that are crypto native like care to make that distinction. But as we saw with Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Like NFTs, we started seeing people not even know that they're using Solana, they were using Magic Eden, and like not even like even realized that like folks were telling me that they bought this thing on Phantom and I'm like, okay, it's <laughs> only on Solana. And we're seeing a new kind of folks enter the space. And this is only now with like 10 million people that are using these chains on a monthly basis. And that was at peaks, probably like 3 million right now. Mm-hmm. So when we get to a hundred million, 
is that next 90 million going to care about the blockchain that it's using or are they going to be using it for you know the killer app that brought them there and if it's the killer app we're maybe leading to a world that's not multi-chain that there's killer apps that can actually define the environment or, or where execution happens um because these are backend systems and they may converge into something that's, you know, like equivalent to AW, like something like AWS and, and cloud-based competitive distribution. So that doesn't mean that it won't be a multi-chain world, but it may be a world where, you know, a very large portion of transactions, you know, mm. maybe 90% of transactions occur in one, in one environment. It's, uh, it's interesting to hear you reference the, I feel like years old mantra that eventually when blockchain is working like it should, people shouldn't be aware they're using it. You know, in the early days, I remember I, I've been writing about Bitcoin since 2011 and, and people used to say much more often, it should be like, you know, HTTPS, you know, or SMTTP, you know, you use email, you don't understand how it works. You just know you click send and it sends. And we are definitely not there yet. Um, but do you think something like Helium might be the first example of that? I mean, talk a little bit about um, what they're up to with their network and they've just uh, transitioned it over to Solana. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what's like, I spent my career at Qualcomm. Uh, so like I've mobile industry is like really like close to my heart. And uh, mm -hmm. as an engineer there, like you can imagine how frustrated you are where you set up your wireless router at home, but then you have the same technology for sell your service and you can't set it up. There's no like developer, like user way to do it and, and like work with it on your own. There's no APIs for it. I can't like go build a bunch of stuff on Verizon's network like I can on AWS. So it's a very kind of non-engineering friendly world. Um, what's awesome with Helium is that it's self-serve. People can actually go buy their own equipment and set it up anywhere. So you're not like, if you're living somewhere like rural America, you're not blocked by AT&T. You're not waiting for them. You can actually take control of your, of your own life. That That's, I think, really, really important. Um, but to me, what's awesome is that now all, the, all of these machines are programmable. They can interact with smart contracts. You can start building really interesting things or topologies on them, like do optimizations between paths and all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, so that I'm... I'm like super excited about, I think 5g is a really, really complicated technology. You're going from uh, 4g radios that have like a range of 30 kilometers, like, you know, whatever, 30, 40 kilometers to 500 meters. So <laughs> you need a, a density of, of that is much, much higher than, mm. than most folks realize. It's basically, we need like a, a router on every block and, you know, and, and every you know half mile and that's going to take a lot of installation so there's a possibility that helium might be the most dense fastest rolling out 5g network you know within two to five years that would be really cool to see i want to ask a question about um i guess building and like kind of like the engineering ethos like did you go into engineering because you know that's what you cared about and you saw that as the way forward or did you kind of pick that up from engineering that has kind of like permeated throughout everything else you've done? I mean, you know, from the top of the podcast, you've been talking about, you know, you want to see people build, you want to see people wanting to develop and kind of be able to do their own thing. Yeah, I was kind of a geek, I guess. Uh, so started like 
installing Linux from scratch, like in the nineties, uh, figuring out how to program in C, mm -hmm. um, like these were like what I was doing with my friends in high school is like, <laughs> like messing around with like operating systems and open source and computers. And that, that was pretty exciting. And like it, in those in the nineties, it actually like the open source movement was, uh, had like a lot of impact on me. You really did feel like a bunch of people that were working on stuff for fun were competing with like the biggest, you know, most aggressive tech company in the world, Microsoft. And there was this, uh, almost like a true fight. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it felt like what was funny to me is that like this idea that there's no way Microsoft could kill Linux because it was built by people for fun. Like the building mm -hmm. was the fun of it. Like it wasn't like done for profit and therefore there was no like company to acquire or to, or to like put out a business because I'm literally coding because I enjoy it. And this is something that I think a lot of crypto folks actually share as well, that despite the bear market or whatever, people just want to build and build for fun. And that's a very, I think, kind of a, you know, if you, if you have that experience, you're probably an engineer, <laughs> like, or you should be one. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. You know, since we were talking a little bit about your, your past, um, at Qualcomm, let's stick with like the personal side of things. Um, you know, when we talk about all these projects aiming toward decentralization, something that's also interesting to us journalists is how every project still has kind of the one person who's like the face of it. You know, obviously like Ethereum has its Vitalik, um, you know, over at Avalanche is like Emin Gunsir. And then for Solana, there's you and, and also uh, Raj to an extent. Do you think of it that way? Do you feel comfortable with that? Are you, you know, looking to be less of the face of it if things succeed? Are there other thinkers in crypto that you look to as as influencers? Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Vitalik. I think he is, uh, you know, stuff that he publishes, especially on governance and things like that, are really forward thinking. Um, and I think it's important that there's leaders in the space. Not that I like, I don't know if I enjoy it or not. Like I like the, the like building and sharing code and like sharing like stories with like folks in the community. But I don't know if it's like the thing that I want to do. Like I'm kind of an introvert. I'd rather be like <laughs> hide, <laughs> hide in my room, play video games yeah. and code or whatever. Um, it's, e it's easier to... online when you're a bit anonymous oh. or like not anonymous, but yeah. you're at least hiding behind a, a Twitter profile. Well, it's funny. I mean, we talked to SBF, Stacy and I did, you know, Sam Bankman Fried, and he's another example where he's just not who you'd expect uh, to see on a giant billboard, you know, on a sports yeah. stadium, but now he's in their, their ad campaigns. And we sort of asked him about that. And it's just interesting. I think crypto has produced some interesting, yeah. um, leaders like public facing mm -hmm. types <laughs> rise of the introverts and the engineers yes yeah, that's better put yeah um actually this this is a good segue because um and i'll make one more um i guess comparison or mention of sam over at ftx he's talked a lot about how it's taken it's been a bit of a journey for him to get comfortable going into dc and trying to work with people on regulation and but it's just something he has to do if he wants to see his company succeed and make sure he has a seat at the table um you know have you been getting involved in any of the regulation or the policy talks you know are, are you worried about how things are gonna go in any of the different markets where you guys have nodes and solana set up um 
I like not super directly. I think I've I've talked to a few folks and just really been trying to explain to them how the tech works and get technical mm -hmm. on like these are this is how the systems can fail, right? This is these are the risks and things like that, so they can understand, like you know, kind of pull the the cover a bit and and so they can understand how things work under the hood. That's been basically like my approach. Um, I'm. You know, like the 90s, internet was blowing up and you had both Napster and Google were sharing music video, music online, <laughs> but the Digital Millennium Copyright Act was passed by Congress and kind of split the, split the, you know, define what the right way to do it and what the wrong mm -hmm. way was. And I suspect something like this is coming out of Congress. I don't know when, but like, I'm pretty positive on like overall the folks that I've talked to want to see these founders, these startups succeed in the United States. They want the United States to be a leader in the world of, of innovation and, and tech and in crypto included. And it's just a matter of like the wheels slowly churning to, the, to that outcome. Nice. Wow. That's pretty optimistic, you know, especially considering some of the recent rhetoric. It's not going to be perfect. And... <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's never going to be perfect, right? It's going to be like, you know, as imperfect as the... DMCA, but like uh, there will be something, and I think the the industry and will move forward. And I'm pretty confident on US being the leader. Wow, yeah, that's good to hear, uh, especially with you know Gary Gensler thinking every single thing is a token. Um, well, another fun segue, Stacey. Speaking of tokens, let's talk a little bit more about NFTs. You know, you mentioned Magic Eden earlier. Jack Lou was our most recent guest on this podcast. That was fun and. You know, Magic Eden for the beginning of its existence, its pretty short existence, um, it's only been around a year, but man, has it grown mm. quickly, was a Solana thing. You know, it's a Solana NFT marketplace. Now they've expanded to Ethereum as well. But um, the overall share of the NFT market that is on Solana has really increased uh, quickly. Um, you know, I think it, it changes every day, but last I checked, the, the volume for the most recent day was like um, a third as many Ethereum NFTs, you know, were, were Solana NFTs. So, and as you said, ideally, you know, there are lots of people now who don't even know that it's a Solana NFT, you know, fine. Um, what do you see as like the potential and the use cases overall for NFTs, especially at, I'll couch it this way. Recently, I'm hearing more and more people point out that, you know, it isn't as though NFTs are just digital art. That's just the first example and use case that everyone talks about. And because of PFPs and apes and all that stuff, but um, hearing a lot of people get excited about um, future uses of NFTs beyond just art. Yeah, I think these are like basically. I think the if you're thinking about like I want to, your dream is to build the next Disney, the next Marvel. This is probably the best launch point for that. One because crypto is, as a financial opportunity as a whole is just a massively expanding one, and you're not going to find that anywhere else. But two, this is like I think a whole new way to develop. IP and storytelling and lore and like all these things that are really important to build these properties. So like I already see projects that are trying to be more brand specific and build brands like, you know, Hello Kitty is a very big brand, right? There's a, uh, that's, that's a thing that exists, right? So there's folks that are trying that approach. There's people that are focused only on stories and lore and creating kind of like IP around the characters and everything else. That, that's a whole different genre of NFTs. And 
I think a lot of them too kind of fall into like, these are micro social networks. You know, people get this NFT and they join groups and it doesn't really matter if they communicate in like a Twitter DM group or in discord or whatever, uh, probably multiple places at once. But the only thing that's uniting them is this, you know, being part of the monkey DAO or whatever. <laughs> so social networks are obviously, I think, especially small, a million small DAOs is kind of a thing that I think is happening as well. I'm, I haven't seen anything that, that, that was like, you know, there was like a million bulletin boards in the nineties. And then all of a sudden somebody figured out how to go from like six degrees to Friendster to MySpace to Facebook. Mm-hmm. We are, I, I don't think we're there yet. And I don't know if it's because we still only have like a few million people that use blockchain, like on a day-to-day basis. There's a lot of people that hold crypto, but like actually right. monthly actives is altogether is pretty small. And if that, we see a shift to like a large enough number, are we going to see people figure out how to create very large groups around something that, that we mm-hmm. haven't seen yet? Why is your first example Hello Kitty of a, of a successful IP brand? Because I think that's like, uh, it's, I don't know, it's everywhere, right? Like, and, and like kind of in the background, it's almost like everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that's so, so huge and pervasive. And, and uh, there's no, it, there's no other product really, like, I think, like that I can imagine that's a pure brand and nothing else, which mm-hmm. is really kind of really funny. Like, cause I think Hello Kitty and like all the IP came after all the characters, comic books or anything else like came yeah. after the brand. <laughs> it didn't come from like, yeah, yeah, from anything more it's else. It's a good example. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to, I want to end and ask like a kind of fun goodbye question. So completely separate from Solana, your answer cannot be Solana or anything related to it. What's a project or something in the crypto space that you're really excited about right now? Um, is it is it a, if it's built on Solana? Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay. We always try okay. to get people to say stuff that's not related to anything that's theirs. I, I just don't pay can. attention to that much stuff <laughs> I mean, that's Solana. Which that's is like hard. we always that's like we always ask founders, you know, who who your competitors, and people have to say, well, our biggest competition is ourselves, you know, and innovating yeah. on our own. It's like, yeah. Okay. Well, cool. <laughs> right, um, shoot. I, I like don't use other stuff. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> the problem. Um, who's who have I, I? I mean, I can't give a good answer because I just uh, you know I can pick something out of out of a hat. But what about I think in the like a Solana world? Yeah. So squads is pretty cool DAO platform mm-hmm. that's making it easier. Uh, and then um, I would say biomes, which is like a Minecraft like game that has everything's an NFT kind of thing. Mm. And I think there's, I think they're building a really, really good game. And that's, if they can figure out also, like they have to get lucky twice. They have to build a really good game and to figure out the crypto part of it in like a way that works well with the game. And that could be, I think, potentially like one of these lighthouse game-changing things where it defines like an industry. So I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, that reminds me, I've got one last quick one too. I, I wanted to bring it up, but we've also had on this podcast uh, Shiti from Steppen, 
the CMO of Stepin. And of course, Stepin was this very prominent example of, you know, um, really a, a do something, you know, X to earn. Um, in that case, exercise to earn. And I thought a really interesting proof of concept um, with NFTs that were on Solana. And then, of course, you, you earn the Stepin token. Now, then the bear market hit and the Stepin token went down like 99%. And so I think it was, um, you know, it, it, it was predictable that the users go down because they wanted to see coin go up. But just what do you make of sort of the the arc with Stepin? And, um, you know, what was exciting about that to you? And do you think that such apps can still succeed if there are a lot of people who use it just with the hope of making money? So I think what's cool is that Stepin user numbers didn't drop 99%. So they did like, so that means that there's users that actually care about the experience of like, of maybe like the motivation behind having something volatile and like, Mm. like an NFT that is making them get up in the morning and go exercise. That's like, I think a really new way to force you to go work out. (laughs) And if you have, if you ever had to like spend money on like trainers or exercise equipment and stuff like that, or like programs, um, those are, you can go do all that stuff on your own with, with like $5 weights, but you're paying for the motivation to go actually go do it. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is a very digital example of that, which I thought was interesting. Um, And it worked, I think for a lot of users. And I think the big unknown is, is it scalable? And like, can you get the economies to work out where, people derive a benefit from the exercise that's like basically exceeds the money that they're spending in, into the platform. But that's really true about every, every fitness app or every fitness program out there. All right. Well, Anatoly, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having sure. you on GM. Great chat. Thank you. Thanks, Anatoly. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. And I'm Stephen Graves. 